Hello, and welcome to CART, a podcast about coffee and related topics. My name is Joseph Jenkins. My name is Zach Jenkins. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to have Zach sitting down with me here in Le Studio. We're going to have a good time talking it up. If you're not familiar with Zach, well, by the end of the show, I hope you will be. If you've been in Memphis for any sort of time, visited most of the cafes in Memphis, it's a high possibility that you ran into Zach either behind the bar or in the line. Zach was one of the first people who kind of um, ushered us into the coffee scene here in town when we first started doing coffee classes and decided that coffee education specifically was what we wanted to focus on. Zach was pretty instrumental with that. We did classes um, with him and with his help as well as um, he was doing roasting at the time and we were using a lot of coffee he was roasting and it's kind of fun coming full circle and um, sitting down and having a conversation about maybe what the coffee journey looks like then versus kind of where we are now both individually and I guess citywide as well so let's just let's just jump right into it with starting with what you drinking this is a favorite segment of the show of mine where we get to talk about the coffee that we've been drinking so as a reminder we're not going to talk about the region specifically we're going to give the listeners a chance to to guess what what are those tasting tasting notes what are they so recently I've been drinking a coffee from heart roasters that is really high elevation 1915 meters to be precise and it is so delicious primarily drinking it on espresso it just it's so fun it's one of those coffees that no matter what parameters you pull it at like we were pulling it at like one to three and it was delicious and then i tried a one to one shot just because i was like "Hmm, let me see how this goes and it is delicious. It's super acidic, I would say. Mm, I'm not gonna use that adjective because that would give it away. Hmm. It's high elevation. It's good. It's from Heart. That's what I've been drinking. Heart's great, man. Heart's a uh, Heart. You know, I worked with them for a while at uh, Lo-Fi, and I was always surprised that you know, for being such a light roaster, yeah. how good and kind of like predictable their espresso was. Yeah. Um, I mean, we use. We probably use heart more than any other roaster on espresso while I was there. And yeah. man, like, this stuff's always really good. Uh, I've been drinking this really great natural coffee. I'm a big natural coffee yeah. guy. Um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big low temp brewer. So it's like this really great uh, brandy wine natural coffee. Um, it's, I've been brewing it on V60, like 198 degrees. It's got like a nice, like 15 to 1. Always. That's kind of my starting point. I didn't have to do too much with it. My setup at home kind of looks like a, a virtuoso on a V60. Gotcha. Um, and man, it's just so good. I, I brew a lot of that, uh, I brew a lot of that, uh, natural brandy wine stuff. I've just been like pulling through their bags, man. I had a, had a purple Couture from them, um, from Colombia. Uh, the last, the last bag I bought, but this yeah. bag is just like completely exceeded anything that I could have imagined. It's really good. It's probably, it's actually probably just one of my favorite coffees I've drank in several, uh, in several months, maybe even, even a couple years. Wow. It's that, you know, it's like that big, that big, like natural profile, kind of like fig and plum, not so much like blueberry and and you know big pungent like yeah. like you know kind of almost get cheesy this is like a real right. nice and refined like clean natural interesting big yeah. body you know? in terms of ratio too i'm curious lately i've been trying you mentioned like lighter roast coffees too with heart with coffees that are further developed i've been playing around with using lower ratios as in much lower ratios like 1 to 12 and 1 to 13. um i i didn't really know do you think you have any idea on why those lower ratios work well with coffee that's further developed those that that whenever you're, you're pulling those those higher ratios and like some people like go up to like those 1 to 17 1 to 18 um a lot of that like acidity um really gets brought to the forefront and the florality gets brought to the forefront and i feel like with more further developed coffees that you don't really want to pull out as much as those acidities and those floralities because sometimes they're not even really there so it's a little bit in vain to pull those but what do what do you what do you think of that what do you think of using low ratios in terms of like adjusting your ratios when looking at different roast developments specifically uh, I think it's really interesting because uh, the, the way that I always look at when I'm starting to uh, figure out how to brew coffee, I always look at roast profile first. And I think about yeah. that because, I mean, like it's kind of like how you're presenting a steak or how you're presenting a dish. Sure. Um, you know, you kind of present it based on how it's cooked or how it's prepared, right? Right. 
So with like a steak, if I'm, if I'm taking a steak further, I, I don't I don't know exactly how to put it in terms of coffee. Like I'm not I'm not necessarily trying to bring out like the 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 terroir flavor of that meat. Whereas like in coffee, it's kind of the same way. You know, the way I look at it is like you start out with a hundred percent origin flavor as green coffee, sure. and then as you roast it, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance that origin flavor with uh, essentially cook you know like a uh, roasted flavor sure and so when you roast it further i think focusing it with a smaller or with a uh with a tighter concentration like a 12 to 1 which kind of does the same thing as if you were to do the same exact thing with a natural ethiopia you know i always like to concentrate those flavors because i like how pungent and rich those coffees sure. are so i mean like if you focus it even further you're, like you said you're not really it's not really expressing the acid you're more like expressing the uh like the the chocolate or you know whatever fruits are still left in that after it's been developed a little further sure. and so like i think that's really what when i look at like like making coffee rich the reason that i don't do light coffees really really low uh, uh, concentration like that is because i mean you just get like completely overwhelmed with flavor sure um and, you know and completely overwhelmed with, like origin flavor because you're closer to origin at a lot of rates right so i mean that's how that's how the way i've always looked at it. yeah interesting i was just curious what your thoughts were with with that because i know you bet you're right there in the same boat with us as far as doing a lot of manual brewing and adjusting ratios is something that i think a lot of people get scared to adjust um if they've been taught that say one to 16 is the number then sometimes they're kind of scared to go outside of those parameters and maybe the simple math kind of seems overwhelming but as an encouragement to our listeners definitely what zach was saying look at look at development i mean i love looking at topography um in terms of grind size and understanding where i should grind i think that elevation um, is really impactful for how the coffee is runs to the grinder so i think and just further of that with looking at development coffee that's further developed or less developed whichever you, you look at it um kind of adjusting your ratio accordingly so that's just a just a little aside thought Um, but back to our main topic as i mentioned at the top of the show zach has been in coffee for quite a while in some capacity here in the city definitely seen his face around town at different cafes um, in the past few years he's been less in a cafe presence and more of a bar presence um, doing a lot of bartending and um, kind of the craft that exists there so i would love to hear zach just your beginning maybe your origin stories so to speak of of kind of how you maybe got into coffee maybe your beginnings in your coffee, what really initially pushed you into the industry, as well as what caused you to maybe take, take a side and do a different craft with bartending and that sort of thing. For me, coffee kind of started with uh, my grandpa. My grandpa moved to Phoenix a couple years before he passed. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he moved, he couldn't take all of his coffee equipment. He was super into coffee, super into, you know, like, and kind of super into like the second wave of coffee, right? Like super yeah. into like, uh, Jamaican Blue Mountain, kind of like more developed roast. Yeah. Um, and so what I, when he left, he left this, uh, he had a couple grinders, but he left like this, uh, this Barazza Virtuoso. And it was one of like the first 6,000 made. Like mm. it was, you know, he was like ground floor on this company for whatever reason. That's just like <laughs> kind of in line with how my grandpa is. He, sure. was, he was kind of a fanatic, kind of like I am. Um, and so he left it and my dad was using it for a while and he couldn't get the road, he couldn't get his grind tight enough. And he was, you know, so he ended up buying this like black and Decker, like just like burr grinder yeah. situation, which is great because it's still a burr grinder, sure. you know, it's not, he's not, he's spinning blades or anything. Right. But, uh, he was like, you know, I don't really, I don't really use this. Do you want it? And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'd use it for, but sure. I'll take it because my grandpa always bought, you know, really good stuff. And so I assumed it was, I kind of assumed it was good, yeah. uh, without knowing. And, you know, obviously it is um that grinder got a lot of work that year uh i started um i started after that time uh kind of buying coffees from around the uh memphis area and then just kind of from all around the country i would just like i would just like find roasters online you know this was like this is probably uh i was 18 so this was almost nine years ago gotcha so you know this was uh, uh what's what's 21 minus 9 13 this is 2013 yeah. this was my senior year of high school um and so i started to mess around with it man and that summer i just like kind of jumped down the rabbit hole mm. you know i i i kind of did the whole thing where i was like i want a coffee i want i want a coffee from a roaster in every state 
you yeah. know, and kind of just like went through and went through and went through. I remember at that time I was drinking a lot of like uh, uh, Paradise Coffee Roasters and then a lot of uh, uh, Big Island is what they're called now. I can't remember what they're called for yeah. life. I mean, they were a Hawaiian-based roaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, all right, this stuff's cool, but like I wonder what's out in Memphis. I was living in South Haven at the time. Um, and so uh, I got I got I used to go to Hernando a lot and they had a lot of these small businesses. And my buddy Danny owns a guitar shop down there called Sweet Lorraine's. Um, and his niece owned a coffee shop in Memphis called Avenue. Um, and so he kind of like set me up with Becca and I went there a couple times and I had kind of been frequenting uh, other coffee shops in the area. I think at the time, uh, uh, Otherlands was pretty much the only, because like city and state hadn't even opened at the time. I don't, I don't think, um, at that time. And so I, you know, I, I started going around and like, I liked Otherlands and I liked these, uh, like I went to a lot more like second wave shops, like kind of like more developed roasts. Sure. And then I landed in Avenue, um, and started tasting their coffee. I remember the first coffee that I had that was like truly an excellent coffee was this guatemala that uh jeremy from reverb had roasted um and it just uh they're pulling on an espresso i remember tasting it and it tastes like cantaloupes and i was just like whoa and i hate cantaloupes but i was <laughs> yeah. like geeking because i was like oh i've never tasted anything in sure. coffee before and so you know it was like this one it was this uh two to one just like you know standard espresso 20 sure. to 40 out you know 30 seconds and i was like oh okay and that side so just tasted it and i remember it just like getting hooked and so i asked about a job that uh asked about a job that day um i came in the next day and then i was working there the next week and that's how i started in coffee uh i just had time on my hands you know what i mean i I was working at a a grocery store i think at that time and uh, i was like man you know i have have, have 12 hours a week to kind of just like uh throw around and and learn something new um man and i did not did not know it was going to go down (laughs) the path that it did but i'm really thankful it did um but so i started there at avenue and it was pretty soon after that i started to like really get into coffee uh at the time there was three owners four owners uh actually uh and one of them was uh nick uh who obviously has a lot to do with mid-south Christian college where this kind of whole thing came from right uh avenue that is and uh you know i would work on shift with nick twice a week and at the time, he was getting really into, um, he was getting really into, uh, like, latte art and, like, just kind of, like, the ins and outs. He's always like that, you know, kind sure. of fixated on um, quality. And so I learned a lot from him starting out. And that's where, where I kind of started to be like, okay, this is something that I'm very interested in. Sure. You know, fast forward a year and a half later, I started working with Jeremy over at the roastery. Um, and then, you know, started to roast and that really changed my, 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 my perspective on coffee in general. Like when I started to, when I started to roast coffee, I started to really understand origin and really started to understand like, oh, okay, there's a whole nother aspect to brewing. Sure. That's not just putting water over coffee yeah. beans. You know, it's like you, you can, you can look at the origin and find out so much about how you should be brewing this coffee. Yeah. And so after that, I mean, I just kind of like, just completely fell down the rabbit hole. I was like, yo, like, you know, I want to learn how to roast and so he taught me how to roast and uh you know it was maybe six months after that i was roasting everything sourcing everything and then also had become uh you know lead barista there and and kind of was in charge of like parameters of brewing too yeah so you know it was a really interesting opportunity for somebody who was like i think like 21 22 at that time to like be sourcing coffee like green coffee beans from around the world and um you know, putting a roast on them that I wanted to, and then brewing them in the parameters that I saw fit. And yeah. then also always pushing the envelope as far as like, okay, well, I wanted to do lighter coffee, lighter coffee, yeah. lighter coffee. And then um, also do um, coffee that was more expensive, but pay more for coffee because that was a that was kind of a big thing um, right towards the end of me roasting was kind of like, you know, like equity for farmers. Sure. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of, lot of that was... Uh, you know, me and Mo would talk about from Coffee Black because he was a regular at the shop. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he taught me a lot about that, a lot about a lot of things. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of where I got started. Avenue was a good point of uh, jumping off a good foundation. And from there, I kind of like, you know, kind of if you're in coffee, um, at that time, I wasn't making very much money. Yeah. And so I was like having to do multiple jobs. And so I'd always take different jobs. And so, 
you know, as I was working at, at uh, Avenue, I started uh, in Reverb, I started to go around to contracts who'd buy our coffee. Yeah. And then um, I kind of just fell into jobs that way. Like mm -hmm. I fell into uh, this job at Tarte. I basically walked in, was just like, hey, y'all look like y'all need help. Could, could y'all, you know, put me in a couple of days a week? And so I started to work when uh, the weekends at, yeah. at Tarte. I did that until they closed. I did that for about nine months. You know, I ended up being like front of house manager and coffee manager and just kind of like figuring out how everything ran. And, you know, right. kind of my first experience with the service industry too. We didn't do any booze or anything, but, right. you know, we did a bunch of, uh, we did a bunch of coffee, great pastries, really good food. Yeah. Um, and this is right in Cooper Young. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a really interesting experience because I get to work really closely with Dr. Beans' coffee. Uh, specifically, we were running Isotope 72. And every now and then we'd get, um, every now and then we'd get some single origin stuff. But I kind of, I kind of always ran it as like the single origin stuff was whatever weird stuff I had found yeah. that I was throwing on one because we had one of those, uh, we had one of those funny little, uh, they're like the peaks, but they're the double barrel ones. Yeah. And so one of them was uh, always single origin. One of them was always Isotope. Um, and it's just fun, man. You know, running multiple, running multiple shops and always being busy, and then also roasting. It was a lot. I was busy. You know, yeah. I was, I was sixty hours a week for like golly i don't know four years yeah um it's fine and that's really interesting to me how you've went from because you mentioned that your grandfather was the one who had all this equipment and then you inherited equipment and that's what kind of got you on this rabbit hole did you have any coffee drinking before that like in high school or prior to being given all this equipment did you have like were you into coffee at all before then in terms of just like a consumer standpoint uh, i used to get water bottles and I would I'd get water bottles in those uh, little Starbucks instant packets, okay. like the Vias. Yeah. And I would just shake it with a ton of cream. Interesting. And I love I love Bailey's Irish cream, and they make they make a uh, they make a non alcoholic just creamer. Yeah. And I just use the mess out of that. I still <laughs> I still love that stuff, man. Like just like Irish cream's so good in coffee. That's it's so crazy to me. Like individuals I talk to have some sort of like upbringing with coffee, like maybe their parents drink coffee or maybe someone like introduce them to that. But being introduced via equipment is a really interesting starting point. I think kick off to a journey. I think it's really interesting too, because a lot of times the equipment investment is a big barrier to entry for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it gets really expensive really quickly if you're buying um, a lot of stuff. So to have that opportunity of all this gear given to you it's huge, and that's, I think that's kind of reflected in your just these this first part of your journey where you ended up managing cafes and starting to roast and doing all these other things that maybe take a lot of other people longer to get to, um, and I think that maybe that equipment kind of is to blame for that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I still have that virtuoso. I still yeah. use it every day. Uh, I've replaced every single part of that grinder uh, outside of the chassis and hopper. Yeah. You know, even the hopper lid, it's not the same, <laughs> you know, it's a, that, that's a, that's a piece of equipment that was like, that was the very first thing that I was introduced yeah. the very first kind of like interface I had with coffee. Sure. And, uh, man, it's a great grinder. Yeah. I, I love, to I, I love Barazza, man. You know, that's, so it's, it's grinder like number 5,467 <laughs> or something that they, that they made. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I kind of felt like it was my duty to keep that thing running. Yeah. And, you know, if, you, if, if you're familiar with Barazza, that's kind of their whole thing. Yes. It's like you, they build grinders to fix. Yes. And it's great. I mean, they're, they're very simple machines. And I had sure. always been kind of fascinated with small engines and, and, and you right. know, uh, uh, electronics. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I, I would collect uh, like vintage audio equipment mm -hmm. and like fix it up or yeah. like, you know, I was just fascinated with like little things like that. And okay. so, you know, it was one of those, uh, my girlfriend calls them my special interests, <laughs> my like my hyper fixations. Yeah. you know what I mean? That was just one of those things where I was just like, well, you know, I got this, uh, you know, and it started everything for me. So I'm going to keep it going. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, I feel that. I, that's what I was talking to Zach earlier before we started the show. Um, Noah Randolph, he's left, left his, Horlex hand grinder at our cafe space just to mess around with and I, I just love hand grinding and I think it has to do with that I started with a hand grinder I have a settee now from Barazza too that actually Zach helped me get and um, I love that grinder it's so fast it's been such a workhorse but something about like hand grinding on a really solid filling grinder is just it's it's irreplaceable to me in my mind um, and that, I think that has to do with those those beginnings and similar to what you're talking about. But just back to your, your journey timeline here, um, kind of so so starting from someone who, their grandfather, you inherited all this coffee gear, then you ended up becoming a regular at a coffee shop here in town, Avenue Coffee, working there, 
um, then eventually roasting fork. And you mentioned reverb at the time. Reverb was the roaster that Avenue was using. Um, one of the first handful of coffee roasters in town, which is a really cool history fact for Memphis. And then kind of moving along, realizing that coffee is kind of a tricky industry, especially in those early stages um, in terms of financially supporting oneself. So getting another job and working other things, selling coffee and then ending up at Tarte. So so nine months at Tarte. And then so what happens after after Tarte for, for you, Zach? Oh, man. So Tarte closed around the same time I left Avenue. Uh, and so I started working at Tampa Tap for a little while. I worked at Tampa Tap for like four months and it just was not my speed. Sure. Um, you know, it was, it was very, very busy and I'm thankful for that, uh, exposure to that kind of like culture, but it was just, wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stay there very long. And so, you know, after, after, uh, getting laid off from Tampa Tap, I was kind of like, all right, well, what do I do now? You know, um, my buddy, my buddy, Daniel, um, well, I probably should start with, a. I I grew up next to this guy named Nick. Nickman Lobby, and uh, he 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 ran you know bars in the Memphis area. Then he moved down to Florida with his family for a time. And this dude was like my next door neighbor growing up. So yeah. I'd known him since I was thirteen. I was best friends with his little brother. Um, and you know I'm going down the road one day, and just going down Park, leaving Avenue, and uh, I saw somebody with Florida tags and an Explorer, a Ford Explorer that I recognized, uh, fixing his tire. And so I flipped around and talked to him, and. Uh, uh, I was like, hey, dude, what's up? Like, you know, I saw you on the side of the road, and I thought you were my friend Nick, and it was. And so, you know, we kind of touched base. And then maybe a week later, two weeks later, he called me. Um, and this was right after Tamp and Tap had let me go. And he was like, hey, uh, you know, uh, I work at this food hall uh, down on uh, on South Main Street downtown, um, and we need somebody to start a juice bar. Um, and so I figured I might uh, I reach out to you because I know that you have experience in the industry and see if that's something that you'd be interested in and now i've never I'd, I'd probably been i could count on one hand how many times i'd been to a juice bar yeah let alone you know made juices but i was like oh you know i was always up for a challenge and i'm always one of those people who were like you know well you know you kind of roll with the opportunities that are presented to you and yeah. like at that time i had nothing to do and so i was like all right well you know if i'm going to get fixated on something might as well be juice might as well keep it in the, in the liquids you know <laughs> um and so uh i started this juice bar i made all these juices and they're really cool um and that was really interesting i, 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 I might have uh i might have ran it for like a month and a half before i was just like why am i running a juice bar um <laughs> and so i got my buddy peyton to start running it and and so i started to look for coffee jobs again and uh you know kind of right when i started to look daniel was like well you know instead of that why don't you just bar back for me because the, because the juice bar at night was a regular bar a full craft cocktail bar gotcha. um and it was ran by nick uh and i was like all right no and I told him no three times, <laughs> but you know, come around the third or fourth time, I was like, you know, I don't really don't have any reasoning to not bar back for this guy. And uh, I think that I had a weird hang up on like entering the bar business because I was like, well, if I enter the bar business, it's something I'm going to get into, and then I'm not going to do coffee anymore. I see. Um, which I mean wasn't wholly inaccurate. Um, and so I was like, you know, third time I didn't have a, I didn't have a reason to tell him no, and I was like, all right, well, fine, I'll do it, you know. And then uh, I bar backed for two weeks. My first bar night, uh, bar shift was. Uh, on trolley night Classic. which is just like at four nine at the time was nuts it yes. was it was what paid rent yeah um every single month and uh it was just nuts but it was just fun i just like, got hooked immediately and i was yeah. just like oh okay well this is really cool and so maybe like two weeks later daniel was like you know i really need another bartender and i was like all right cool i can bartend so he gave me a bunch of books man he gave me like you know like golly probably like four books yeah to read and i read them all um that week because you know i'm, I'm not i'm not real I'm not real into being bad at things. Sure. I always, you know, uh, and I like I'd gotten into cocktails, and I was like, oh, this is a really cool culture. This is a really cool like. There's like a like a wealth of history and a wealth of like technique, and those are you know things that are necessary for me to really get fixated on something. Right. Um. And dude, I just fell in love with it. I remember that first month of of, of doing cocktails was like uh, a creative awakening for me, you know, because I'd always done coffee, which is this like really logic driven like science focused craft and uh so you know when 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 i was hit with like you know instead of focusing on things in their singularity like coffee yeah uh focus on everything you could throw into a can and shake and make into yeah. a cocktail i was like whoa that's crazy and it was like it was like you know where do i start so i started to read books and i read a lot of really great books from uh the death and company was the first book that i ever read 
Um, it kind of gave you like a foundational knowledge, foundational technique. And then, you know, I went to the bar book and liquid intelligence and all these great craft cocktail books. And I just started to create after that. Sure. And so, you know, a, I think a crux of my original uh, bout of creation was uh, I found things that were strong flavors that I necessarily didn't like. Campari yeah. and Mezcal, uh, Fernet Branca, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I don't like these things, but sure. I want to like them. Yeah. And so I'd make cocktails with them. I'd, I'd, I'd mix them into a cocktail. And, you know, so the first couple cocktails I made were like, um, I remember one specifically, my very first cocktail I got on a menu. It's called Long John Dean. It was named after an American traditional song. And a song that I was listening to a lot by uh, the artist Willie Watson, who's he's a, he, he was part of Old Crow Medicine Show. Um, and then kind of broke off into his own like singer songwriter kind of like uh, Americana driven stuff, traditional American music. Um, and it's called the Long John Dean. It's about a uh, bold bank robber from Bowling Green. That's the line. That's the chorus. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, all right, cool. So let me make a cocktail that was kind of based off that. So I started with the base of a Boulevardier, which had Campari in it. Um, and you know, typically Boulevardier is, 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 is rye, Campari, and sweet vermouth. And uh, I was like, cool. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the rye and the Campari because Campari was kind of the crux of the whole mm -hmm. thing. I was like, oh, this is gonna be you know the focal point. Uh, and then I switched out vermouth, the sweet vermouth for a sweet white vermouth. Sweet vermouth is usually red. Um, and I was like, all right, now we're working with something. And then I just course corrected from there because I didn't like Negronis at the time. So yeah. I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm like, this is like maybe two and a half weeks, three weeks into me bartending. Yeah. So like I didn't really have like a palate yet. Sure. I was just like, okay, well, I know it tastes good. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, I threw some acid in there in the form of lemon. Um, I made this really cool chili tincture based off of a chili tincture that was there. Uh, the chili tincture that was there was uh, arbol chili tinctures, and if you have an arbol chili, um, they're really smoky. And so I was like, cool, well, I'm going to keep that until uh, we run out of it. We switched to Hapone's tincture, and Hapone's are really like nasal hot peppers, almost kind of like uh, jalapenos. They might actually be dry jalapenos, mm. I can't remember. Um, but um, I started to use Hapone's instead of uh, arbols in the tincture. Um, and I was like, oh, this is giving me the heat that I wanted, but it's not giving me the smoke. And so I started to atomize mezcal over the top. Um, and atomizing is just basically you're putting a, you're putting a, a, a liquor in a in a spray bottle, and then you're spraying it over. It's kind of like when you express a lemon peel. It's, it does the same thing, but it basically coats the the glass. It gives you like a, a nose. Gotcha. And so uh, you know that was the first cocktail that I put on the menu was uh, you know that little riff with like the atomized mezcal over the top. And I was like, oh okay, that was pretty cool, and it tasted really good. And I was yeah. like, dope. I was using this really dope uh, rye out of Park City, Utah, called High West Double Rye. They had just launched that. Uh, yeah. They pretty much just launched that distillery um, and everything too. So it was like a cool, like, I was like, all right, cool. Maybe I can be good at this. Yeah. And then I just kept reading, man. And I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of, uh, I got into cocktails from bourbon. And so kind of like jumping down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well, I guess I'm a bourbon guy now. And then just like, like bourbon hunting for like a year. And then yeah. like, you're learning everything I could learn about bourbon. And that kind of opened up the door for learning about other spirits like rum, which is where I ended up kind of fixating on after that and gin and i just uh, during all of this time of uh you know finding these new flavors and experiencing all these new experiences uh i was just like like hungry just like desperately looking for knowledge sure. on these spirits um and you know my cocktail programs have always been spirits driven they've always been you know driven by the backbone of what's in the spirit or yeah. what's in the uh, cocktail and so like you know that's kind of that was kind of a fixation that came from coffee you know it was yeah. kind of a fixation that was like all right well in coffee it's all about the base product it's all about the coffee and what you're doing with it right in cocktails i take the same approach it's all about it's all about the history behind the base spirit yeah. and how to insinuate that and sure. then from there you make your creative tweaks and you make your artistic statement and that's that's what it is yeah and so you know coffee coffee in a way permeates every aspect of what i do behind bar gotcha. um and then actually bringing in coffee and doing like coffee-based cocktails that's not something that i was comfortable doing until i don't know maybe two years in three years in when i started to kind of really get back into coffee right and then um you know basically what happened is uh i worked at puck we went through some changes um and i was i was also working um i was also going to lo-fi coffee a lot because right. they popped up about two years into me running yeah. Puck. 
And uh, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I wanted to get back into coffee. And I found this great opportunity to, to work at Lo-Fi, which was, you know, at the time and still is like the best coffee shop I'd ever been to. Yeah. Um, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm going to take a break. So I took a break from bartending for, I think it ended up being about nine months and uh, started to work at Lo-Fi. And that was an experience, man. Sure. Um, Lo-Fi was, you know, this hard-nosed quality shop. It was a shop that was unflinchingly good at what they did. Right. Um, and, you know, it was the highest product I've ever done. It's it's still probably the, the most quality-driven product I've ever done. Yeah. I can't really say any, like, any more about just how good that shop was. Yeah. We used, to me, the best roasters in the country. Um, we, you know, we entertained even more roasters than the three we ended up on. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just, like, it was it just defined a lot of things for me it took it took a, a to me what i had at the time which is kind of a narrow view or just just a memphis-based view of coffee and it was like you know there's all this stuff out there there's people like geeking out obsessing over this stuff you yeah. know we use lab equipment in, right in the coffee shop and i was just like whoa this is nuts yeah and so you know everything there had to be perfect all of the all of the espresso drinks had to come out perfect all the pour overs were those recipes were obsessed over yeah and you know when i was in there i was able to bring in some stuff i was able to bring in some knowledge and bring in some uh like some of the things that i had learned over my like at that point four years five years in coffee yeah um and really like make an impact and that that made me that gave me a lot of validation that i was doing the right thing sure. you know i was doing um i was uh we, we i kind of brought in the concept of a low temp brewing with yeah. natural coffees and how to kind of uh develop uh especially sump because of the three roasters sump was the one that um we used the we got the most naturals from like kind of like figuring out like what that product being so lightly roasted how to develop that you know and and like the the concept there was like higher temp uh you know heavy agitation single pour uh v60s but for me i was always like all right how do we do low temp brewing but incorporate the same um, technique because I believe that technique of the single pour heavy agitation, that was the best for those really nice, like yeah. Nordic right roasted coffees. Right. You know, 15, 1, 16, 1. Keeping that area, you know, you know, you know we always used a, um, an Encore. Yeah. Was our, uh, was our grinder. So um, we did that until I think we got a Virtuoso eventually. I can't remember, to be honest with you, it's so long ago. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it was just a, it was just a complete experience. We used Say out of Brooklyn. We used uh, Onyx out of Fayetteville for a while. Uh, we used Hard out of Portland, Oregon. We used Sump out of St. Louis. We used Drop out of Sweden. We got some stuff from Stash out of Japan. Um, and it was just a pleasure, man. It was always yeah. a pleasure to work with. But uh, I think the the one that stuck with me the most was Sump. And you know, I've I've met uh, I've been to Sump. Nashville multiple times haven't been able to make it up to St. Louis yet but uh, I remember meeting Scott on the grand reopening which was the the uh the, you know the the uh, year um the year celebration of of uh lo-fi being in the 387 spot and uh man just like I just remember meeting him and being like oh this dad's really cool and kind of like picking his brain on like some of his like roasting elements and like you know just kind of getting his concepts on stuff and man like that product that he puts out to me has always been my favorite yeah roaster in the nation like it's just just an incredible product and kind of seeing the same thing now from like brandywine and seeing people that are like taking the same thing like i, th- I believe little wolf out of colorado is really good too um you know it's just nice man it's nice to see people kind of gravitating towards those uh roasters now too and like kind of kind of like the places that were sourcing coffee from places uh instead of going with local memphis roasters seeing them kind of like branch out and do cooler more high quality nor light roast focused roasters is cool it's kind of become what's in now here and you know i feel like lo-fi was pretty instrumental in like exposing people to that and mm-hmm. exposing the memphis community to that this this new palette of coffee yeah um and i love that's why i love to see like uh, i know city and states carrying heart right now mm-hmm. um and comeback is carrying variety and yeah. la cabra and and brandywine and little wolf and methodical you know and they've carried methodical since sure. the beginning um and then onyx as well and i just love that man like yeah. to me that that was always like 
that was the missing link. Like, let's expose people in this culture to this really high, high-end, crazy quality product. Yeah. And then like see what they do, what they learn from it. Definitely. And you know, and that was always something that was important to me. And I think that was always a driving factor in like my my journey through coffee. And so I was there. I was the I was the I was the cafe guy there for um, about a year. And then you know, nine months creeps in, and I'm and I'm starting to I'm starting to really like uh i'm starting to really be like okay i missed the creativity that bar gave me i also missed the money that bar gave me sure his bartending is very profitable uh, and i was like you know come come around the change of the year in 2020 i was like all right well a couple months earlier i'd started taking wednesday night shifts at the bar just to get the juices flowing again um and then you know come around the turn of the turn of the uh year there i was like man i really want to go back to cocktails and so uh, that's what I did. I quit, uh, put my two weeks in, popped over to uh, 409 again, and uh, man, just another just another year full of just creation. And, you know, it was it was uh, it was it was January, um, March. We got hit with COVID um, and shut down until May, and that like quarantine period uh, was instrumental in me becoming an artist. And that, that, that quarantine period, that two months of my life, uh, compressed years of thought and years of like seeking and identity crisis. And, you know, that's really what made me uh, an artist sure. was that two month period. And, you know, I just immersed myself in what I was doing. I was just like, all right, well, we've got this two month period of uh, time where I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing what I love. I'm just like living in this RV. Yeah. alone out in um uh the agri center like basically in a parking lot surrounded right. by trees uh what am i going to do with it and so uh you know i kept uh, i jumped down the rabbit hole of rum and tiki and then um you know continued to do coffee and roast and then also uh got really into food yeah. and i think if you if you if you unfold the layers of 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 complexity and like if you unfold like periods of my life where I've learned the most, it goes, you know, coffee, cocktails, food. And when I hit food, I was just like, whoa. When I started to teach myself how to cook and when I started to uh, really understand uh, like culinary excellence in its purest form, which is food. Sure. I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense. And it just completely changed everything that I did. It can change uh, the way I looked at coffee changed the way I looked at cocktails um, and it changed the way that I looked at life and it was the changed the way that I thought about value and creativity and in terms of like what's culinary excellence Interesting. and like it, it amazes me how much uh, going back and thinking about that part of my life and thinking about like those things like how much Lo-Fi had already grasped that concept and was running for it. Yeah. And that's like why I, I uh, gravitated so much towards that idea yeah. because it was, it was the absolution of, of my thought process on yeah. food. And it was my absolution of like my thought process on like what is craft and like also the intersection of craft and community. Yeah. The intersection of like how do you provide and love through service and also like make sure that what you're providing is excellent and accessible. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I can def. You can definitely tell that through you discussing just your journey here, and as you moved into cocktails and such, how this drive, both for excellence and quality, really, really drives you. Just in terms of what you're doing industry wise, but also just you as a person. And I think that's something that I've always respected and shared with you is is that you know wanting to do something well, like you know reading all these books on on cocktails and and really diving into topics so that you can fully understand them. Because I think that's really important for us in terms of how we end up conveying what we're feeling in terms of how we're you know doing creative expression. I talk about coffee as creative expression all the time. I think it's so true. And I think that both of these other related industries like food and cocktails and, and craft things there are, are so true in terms of understanding something better. And I think in order for us to better appreciate something it takes a lot of that like looking at the history and looking at the the foundational backbones as you were talking about and i really 
I really appreciate that. And I think that that's, that's, I think, what in my mind sets you apart in terms of just your general personality and something I really admired about you is that like whatever you're in, if it's coffee, you're all in, you're like, you're really invested in it. You're really learning about it. Um, and you're taking that, that knowledge and you're not just holding on to it. I think that would be kind of a waste for us to do, like is to take all this knowledge and to hold on to it for ourselves. But instead you're, you're then translating into like, okay, well, how do I take all this knowledge, all these things that I've learned and make it, like you said, accessible. And how do I, how do I ex- convey that to someone who maybe I'm serving in a way that helps them then appreciate it and then keep that ball rolling in terms of then sharing with other people. Um, I think it's really foundational to what we do at Sustain is like trying to teach something to someone that they then can turn around and do the same thing. I think with people like Dante who are on the team who have done that so excellently and Isaac who's been involved as well, where they've we've, we've helped initiate them into um, this wonderful industry and then they've been able to take it and run with it. And I think you've been instrumental for that for us and for, you know, myself, Joseph, um, just in terms of really always trying to push for like, okay, how can I learn more so that I can express more and express freely? So I, I really appreciate you sharing sharing that. And that's something that I was just sitting here smiling as you were really, you know, going over the cocktail stuff that was probably going over my head. But it was just, it's really exciting to hear, to hear someone else who's passionate about something and who really wants to see honor given to things that, that deserve it. And I also think it's really funny that you landed on food, food for something for myself as well. And just, you know, as I myself get older and as I just like really embrace adulthood, it's something that I think is so uniquely human is that is food and how um, it can really tell you, help you appreciate value, exactly like you were saying. And I, I find that incredibly instrumental in terms of coffee and how I look at coffee. I can definitely agree with you that understanding food, understanding those elements, those culinary elements helps you understand coffee so much more and helps you understand the labor that goes into making a said product um, with food being, you know, whatever you're growing food wise and with coffee, how the coffee is grown and such. And I think that's that's excellent that you share those thoughts. All of this has really stemmed from both this, I think, underlining desire for excellence that's within you that, you know, a family member just so happened to have equipment thrown your way and now you've landed here where you're where you're now. Where are you now then? So like you've, you, we talked about, we went over to Lo-Fi, went over to 409, you were at the Juice Bar, you've been kind of in the downtown South Main scene. So where where is Zach nowadays here in 2021? Close puck in November of 2020, mainly because of COVID's yeah. up and downs, you know, it's hard to keep even 13 of us at one point, you know, it was hard to keep everything afloat. And so after that, I went down to uh, Eight and Sand, which is a Andy Mike spot down in the Central Station Hotel, which mm-hmm. of course is also owned by Hilton. Um, I did eight months of bartending there. Um, it was really interesting. It was my only bartending job as far as like a volume bartending perspective. We were still doing craft cocktails, yeah. but it was just like, okay, let's let's push craft cocktails to the absolute human limit of speed you can make them, <laughs> um, which is very fast and very painful. Yeah. Um, and so about eight months in, I was, you know, contacted by Nick, uh, who was reopening Talk because they had closed yep. for, uh, uh, they had closed for COVID in December and Talk was owned by the same guy who owned the food hall at one point, but uh, always the bar inside the food hall. And so with him before, I was familiar with his uh, thought processes on creative expression and his thought process on, um, you know, what he expects from his workers. And I was like, oh, cool, I could work for him again. Um, and so I went ahead and took that job in, in April, and then by May we had it open. Um, and I've been there since. Uh, Pontox has been great, man. Pontox. You know the coffee, like the the uh, the cocktails are all mine. You know they're all there. I make the list with my boys there who work with me behind bar, and that's always super fun. You know uh, the glass list, the wine list, which has been a passion of mine. Um, you know we're at six or seven hundred bottles deep. You know of research into that wine list. Yeah, and it's all natural and biodynamic, and it's accessible, and it's it's a beautiful list. Um, I was able to, to put that together and, you know, in the process of doing all this, met some really great people sure. and, you know, in the process of doing all this, I think the thing that I will always take away from my time at Pontotoc is, uh, you know, uh, meeting these people and being an industry bar and, you know, looking at, um, looking at what that area needed and it, what it needed was craft cocktails late. Yeah. craft cocktails for the people who are making craft cocktails that come off the shift and still want to drink those cocktails. Sure. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I made sure that, that we had a bar that kind of ethos from the beginning was, uh, we're here to serve people who serve, Yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, so when the, when, when 10 o'clock rolls around, the kitchen's out of the, out of the building and, and, uh, you know, it's just the bar and it's just, you know, turn of the nineties hip hop and, and, and service injury folks. That's yeah. like my favorite time of the, yeah. of the shift because, you know, you're around people who do what you do. People who like share that trade and people who, uh, love what they do and they love yeah. supporting people as much as they love the product that they put in front of them. And that's beautiful, man. And so, you know, that was, uh, that's been the biggest takeaway from, from on a talk for me is like, you know, I get to create all these really beautiful drinks for people. And I get to work with people who also create beautiful drinks, but also like the clientele on the other side gets it. Yeah. And the other, the clientele on the other side is, you know, doing the same thing that you are and, and striving for the same thing that you are. And the energy is really amazing. You know, we get a lot of people from uh, Catherine or Mary's after, uh, after they shut down at around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock on the yeah. weekends. We get them, they all come down. Um, and it's like, you know, it's a community. You know, we yeah. get people from Good Fortune over there as well, and um, people from Arrive. These are people, you know, that, uh, I mean, I've had a special, kind of a special relationship with Catherine and Mary's for a long time. They were the first bar that I ever got drunk at. They are the first bar that, that really showed me, okay, this is what a successful craft cocktail program looks like, and this yeah. is what a successful craft cocktail program uh, tastes like, and it's what it feels like. And, you know, the thing that was so excellent about the team that I learned from there was um, they're all gracious they're yeah. all really wonderful at their craft but they're you know first and foremost they're service-minded yeah. you know they're, they're they're focused on the customer experience and that really helps define me and so being able to come full circle and serve those people again and you know meet meet some of my best friends there and meet my girlfriend there and like you know meet people who share that love of food it is just incredible yeah. to me it's given me like a a sense of community and a sense of, of who I'm building things for. Absolutely. And that's beautiful. But I'm down at Pontotoc, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. I'm the bar manager there, uh, you know, keeping everything going until 1 in the morning, man. You yeah. know, it's 5 p.m. to 1 in the morning. Um, and, you know, serving people. Serving the people yeah. that, that I want to serve and serving that community as best as I could see fit. And making sure, you know, that when all these people get off of work, there's still a place to go where you can get a good cocktail yeah. where you can sit down and, you know, if you want beer and affordable well liquor, you have it, but also you have, you know, somebody behind the bar who's really cocktail minded. Yeah. You know, that's what we do, you know, and that's an extension of that service and that's an extension of that love that I have for the industry. I think like really boils down to just all the things that has brought you to this place and what you've learned just from your time in coffee and what you continue to learn in coffee and how you've, um, taking those those things and and really apply them to what you're doing now, I think that's that's a a perfect portrait of just how impactful like all these other little things that maybe you know back in 2013 you didn't anticipate that that it would be that way, um, but it's it is that way now, and I think that's that's really really exciting to see, um, and it's, it's really fun to see see you in something that that is. Um, so well suited to you and to what you're interested in and to this the serving side of things I think that's of that idea of like serving the industry people like the industry people serving the industry people I think that's like who who better yeah. to to serve those people than people who like are in the trenches with with them but yeah I think that's that's kind of the main conversation I think for today just kind of catching up with Zach seeing for all the listeners out there seeing maybe where we've come from too in terms of like who we've learned from. I think it's really important to remember those people. Zach and I have not really sat down in a while and, and conversated, so it's been really great. So let's go back to the top of the show with what you're drinking. For myself, um, it's been espresso. For me, it's been a coffee from Hart out of Portland, Oregon. We talked about Hart um, quite a bit the middle of the show, and it's really juicy. It is... Again, one of those coffees that you can pull at whatever parameters and it's going to taste beautiful. Um, the other day, Zach actually tasted the same espresso and um, it was the day before Thanksgiving. And it was like, this is like Thanksgiving in a cup. And that's all I can think of now. Every time I drink it, it's just, it's that. So the coffee is 19, 15 meters above sea level. And it is a Kenya AA Neary Hill. Beautiful stuff. 
probably one of the best Kenyas I've had in quite some time. And I, I have a sweet spot for Kenyas. Kenyas are one of those coffees that really stick out in my mind in the beginnings of my coffee journey. And it just hits all of those nostalgic feelings in my mind. That's so good. All that tomato basil realness. Oh yeah, the tomato. That, that was the word I was like, I probably shouldn't say tomato because everybody's gonna be like, it's Kenya. <laughs> say, say less, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's so balanced. It's good. Mine is this great brandy wine natural. It's called, uh, it's their Costa Rica Las Lajas, the Perla Negra. It's just beautiful. The cool thing about brandy wine is that they're just like, just really going off the rails, man. They're just really doing That's, whatever the hell they want. It's so true. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, and this one's just a, you know, it's a classic, man. You know, Costa Rica natural coffee was was kind of exposed to me. Uh, the 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 first Las Lajas that Onyx put out, and then closely behind that, the first Las Lajas that Sump put out, and I was just like, whoa, this is like blowing my mind. Like I couldn't believe this coffee. And now the Brandywine ones just give me the same thing where it's like, you know, here's this really excellent, like plum, you know, dark, dark, beautiful fruit, like just ripe and pungent, but without being too dirty. It's yeah. just like this nice, clean experience. It's beautiful, perfectly roasted. I couldn't even imagine a coffee better roasted. Wow. Like it is perfect. It is literally perfect. Um, and I've been drinking all that, man. It's a, it's a month and a half old and I'm still just yeah. getting so much out of it. You know, just V60, like 15 to one. Uh, I, I made a, uh, man, it's so crazy. I made a, I made a coffee tincture with it the other day. Yeah. Um, and you could still taste the origin flavor Amazing. through all the spices that I put in. Because yeah. I, I did like a coffee, sage, uh, some grapefruit peel, um, cardamom, we had a little coriander, some clove, and some cinnamon. And just like it's through all that, through. it's still like, bam, like wow. plum wine, like right in your face. It's beautiful, man. What a product. Incredible. Uh, and you know, that's Brandywine is one of those roasters that keep me coming back. Sure. Just like Little Wolf, man. Just yeah. like, just like these crazy talented, uh, you know, American roasters that have just learned so much from like the Nordic process and just like, just even gotten it a little further. It's yeah. beautiful. Man. So that's what we're drinking for today. Again, Zach's at Pontotoc downtown memphis if you want to go see him you said thursday friday saturday thursday friday saturday from 5 to 1 5 p.m to 1 a.m all right cool so if you want to see what zach's all about and see all this passion and be able to taste taste it look at him a little 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 wave and and say that you you got to hear a story here on cart um anyways i think that's all we have for today again zach so thankful to sit down with you and talk today thanks for coming and hanging out with us today it was a lot of fun thank you for having me Thank you, listener, for listening to this week's episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of CART. Do you have a topic that you would like to have covered on the show? Or perhaps you have thoughts about the specific episode that you would like to chime in on? You can. We can be reached at several places. On Instagram, 901SustainCoffee. By email, 901SustainCoffee at gmail.com. You can also send a voice message directly by visiting anchor.fm slash 901CART. You'll see a button to send your voice message where we can include it on the show. There are a lot of great resources on our website, too. Head over to 901SustainCoffee.com for brew guides, recommended resources, and a wealth of other content. No thought or opinion is insignificant to us. Please don't hesitate to let your voice be heard. Until next time.